0: And welcome to episode 101 of Talking Dirty over at East Ruston, Old Vicarage, wrapped up like he's ready for a blizzard, even though he's sitting next to a fire. So watch him gradually redden in the face over the course of the podcast (laughs) (laughs) or imagine it if you're listening to the audio version. We have Alan Edward Herbert Gray, our happy and very handsome horticulturalist. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, thank you for that one for warming introduction on this very, very cold day. I think yes. as we were saying off off camera, um, it, this is probably a once in 10 years, really, really cold winter. Um, anyway, warming us up from Cambridgeshire, looking absolutely radiant, we have Thordis Maria-Sophia Friedrichsen. And how are you?
0: I'm very good. We should say by the time this goes out in the world, hopefully things will be a lot milder. But we're recording this in the heart of that really, really cold snap when lots of us have probably lost various precious plants and a feeling or trying to be uh, opportunistic about it and see the great potential in those blank spots (laughs) in the garden. But, you know, bear with us if we feel a little emotional at times. We'll probably talk a bit about that with this week's guest, her first appearance on Talking Dirty, though I don't know why it's taken us so long to invite you along. Barbara (laughs) Segal, what is your middle name?
1: It's Jean. (laughs) Oh, lovely. I think you should be Barbara Jean. Okay,
2: yes. I'm happy to be Barbara Jean. <laughs> yeah, no,
1: that
2: sort of sounds good. They're going to well. Jean was my grandmother's name, so that was how I got Jean. Well, and do you know Edward it. Herbert, which is me? Both grandfathers. Oh wow! So that's that's how I got those. <laughs> I Am have I, a
0: grandmother in there.
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, good. Which one?
0: <laughs> that's that's the Sophia. Sophia. It's Lovely. kind of Sophia. It's supposed to be Sophia because it's Icelandic, but it got anglicized like everything else. Your
2: Icelandic origin. How wonderful.
0: <laughs> just don't quiz me on it. I haven't read a saga. I own very few itchy jumpers. Can't <laughs> 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 speak, yeah. not very well versed. Now, Barbara, you, you are just such an icon in the gardening world. You are this award winning garden writer who's just written for everything and been across so many different magazines and publications. It's wonderful to have you along for talking dirty, and we're particularly um, pleased that you've been out in the freezing conditions to go and get your show and tell, which we'll come on to later. But what's prompted us, long overdue, to book you is this marvelous, marvelous oh. coffee table book.
1: Oh I, I uh, which I've got one. We both look. have and both adore. <laughs> oh, do you? Oh, that's so lovely. Yes. Yes, Thank and I—I mean, I was looking through this, and I mean. I think, I think one of the things is that it's th- what's difficult about it is you've got to sit down and look at it and read it and <laughs> let it get you because, <laughs> you know, you, you you there's a danger that you could look at this and say, oh, not another coffee table book on gardening, pretty pictures and all the rest of it. Well, yes, it is, but it's also packed full of interesting bits, tips, oh. knowledge. Yeah. And those pictures by Clive Burson were absolutely fabulous, or are absolutely fabulous. They're lovely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think the you know the, there's so much to be learned from the combinations, the planting combinations, the way people use different artifacts in their garden. Um, and yeah. I mean, I'm not a great advocate of rusty metal, but I did like that <laughs> rusty metal bird that quivers in the breeze in one of the yes. gardens.
2: <laughs> that, <laughs> That's I think a whimsical touch, and I think I love that. <laughs> yeah, that was an Old House Farm. That was lovely. Yeah, yeah. It's,
0: it's Secret Gardens of the Southeast. So obviously, uh, you were um, you had your geographical location. You had the concept of secret gardens. So that immediately ruled out your Dixters and your your obvious ones. But the idea of a secret garden, I know, is a little tricky. Um, mm-hmm. So how did you figure out what you were going to include?
2: Oh, um, really? It was. It's always been good gardens that are included, as someone who gardens at East Ruston will know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That was included in the previous book, Secret Gardens of East Anglia. But um, no, it was a question of building up a list. And some of the gardens I knew from a long time ago when I lived in London and I used to go visiting in the southeast But I had lots of recommendations from different garden designer friends or editor friends who sort of said, oh, you must have this or try and get there or whatever. And I realized that actually some of the gardens were new to me. And so therefore I could use the word secret because I hadn't known about them uh, or hadn't visited them. So, you know, that was the basis. They possibly are very well known to some people. Funnily enough, Arundel Castle, which has got this beautiful garden, walled garden, um, people have told the head gardener there that they visited the castle many times, but they didn't know there was a garden there.
1: <laughs> I think that that sort of thing often happens when you have a very large property, um, such yeah. as a castle, for instance. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, it's, they don't have a front lawn, do they? <laughs> they got, <No. laughs> it's a different scale they altogether.
2: Can't... That's right. You can't peek over the garden. No.
0: Gate. <laughs> but some of the plots, I mean, we've got the the sort of more sprawling acres of castles or Sussex Prairie Garden, things like that. But then that some of them are really dinky. Um, mm. It's the, the first garden in the book, I think, which is really postage stamp sized. It is the kind of one that opens for the National Garden Scheme and is absolutely packed
2: out with choice plants.
1: Mm-hmm. How the heck did you get 500 people through the gate? That's what I'd like to know. <laughs>
2: In single I mean, file and then reverse and go up. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, that was must be. 87 Albert Street, I think, looking at my notes. That's right, it is. Um, it, it was wonderful. Just jam-packed, as you said, with plants and everything, you know, going up the side, ladders with succulents on mm. them, um, plants in the ground. Plants, See, that's what I
1: mean by an idea, Barbara, because, or shall we say Barbara Jean, because... <laughs> You know, you've got a, an old defunct stepladder, one that's getting a bit rickety. Well, don't throw it away, but use it as a display
2: um, for, for in the summer for, for, for plants in pots. It's a wonderful idea. Exactly. I mean, you know, you've got about eight rows that you can fill. Yeah. Yeah, No,
1: It's really good. I'll tell you one of the gardens that in, instantly drew me to, to the book, and that was Long Barn. Oh, yes. Long Barn, I mean, it, it's, well, it, for people that don't know, it was the previous garden to... Um, Vita Sackville West and Harold Nicholson that's where they first had a garden together um, and I found it very interesting to see because I'd, I'd, I'd read about it um, in various books especially if there's some of the things that Vita has written um, mm. but you know I'd never seen it and oh. I know somebody else has got it now and somebody else gardens there and um, maybe they've changed a few
2: things but there's there are quite a few things that I don't think they have changed no the person who has it is called rebecca lemonius and she's yeah. a wonderful um gardener she didn't uh, she fell in love with the place and posted a note through the door of the owners at the time and said you know if you ever ever decide to sell please let me know and they of course did when they were ready to oh, sell oh how romantic <laughs> is that <laughs> um, but prior to her um uh, and be- between her and vita and harold the Lindberghs had owned it. Yeah, Lindbergh, the aviator, and you know they didn't do very much in it. So it certain things passed, as it were, to the present, yeah. including those wonderful yews that are on the cover of the book. Yeah, they were planted by Vita, and um, you know it's got this sort of atmosphere there. It's wonderful. Do go. Well, I, I, I'm going to, it's on my list,
1: put it that way. Definitely.
0: Well, I mean, I'm going to have such a, I already had places I needed to go and see in the southeast. And now the list is so much longer. I don't know how I'm going to persuade the other half. Um, <laughs> and, and that one, Long Barn, isn't the only garden that has this sort of wonderful history and fabulous past gardens. I think there's a little bit of a running theme there of these sort of horticultural ghosts and these things being handed down. Balmoral Cottage. I thought was absolutely enchanting. And that was one that had um, been, what was it next door to the former home of Cherry Ingram?
2: That's right, yes. And so they've got in their garden, they've got a few sort of artefacts like his potting shed and, you know, that moved over the fence (laughs) (laughs) Um, because um, Donald Molesworth worked with Cherry Ingram in that garden for a time. And so, you know, there's been a real linking of the two gardens and charlotte and donald are just the most delightful people um you can see from the photographs that clive took of them you know they they are in the spirit of their garden yeah Yes. They try not to buy anything new. They grow things from cuttings, they go to salvage yards.
0: <laughs> yes. Well, they they also um growing stuff from cuttings, one of their great passions is topiary. They were, I think, founding members of the European Boxwood and Topiary Society. Mm. And that's yeah, course,
1: called they have a magazine called Toparius. Yes. That's yeah. right.
0: Yeah. And yeah. I think a lot of their topiary, their, their those hedges were grown from cuttings that they asked for in wedding presents and things. I mean, <laughs>
2: That's right and I I what I love about gardeners is their kind of imagination and vision. I mean I would never have had the patience to grow that amount of hedging and topiary. I know you've got so much hedging Alan but you know it's kind of really far sighted. Yeah it is. Yeah. And and it's like being a sculptor you see a form within these plants and suddenly it appears you've (laughs) sculpted it down but But um, somebody said to me the other day you know uh, uh, they said when
1: did you begin the the desert desert wash and I said well it was probably about 23 25 years ago and he said well that's not very long in gardening terms and it isn't really (laughs) is it but I mean I think you know if you're talking about box topiary from a cutting to a piece of topiary you're probably talking 10 or
2: 12 years That's right. And, you know, to sort of live with these things growing and thinking, Mm. oh, come on, hurry up, hurry up. (laughs) (laughs) But Charlotte readily admits that she, although she's absolutely addicted to topiary, and to doing it. Um, I think she's sort of reached the age now where she thinks, oh my goodness, how am I going to continue with this? Well, I think it's getting I know. younger people up the ladders. Yeah,
1: but that is the that is the thing that happens, isn't it? When we're all young and free and agile and, <laughs> and all the rest of it, we can shin up and down ladders and hang yes. from branches of trees if necessary. But you know, as you get older, it becomes slightly more difficult.
2: It's slightly more difficult. In my case, I don't do it anymore. <laughs> But also you move on, you know, I think, um,
1: you know, you've got to be careful you don't make a rod for your own back, I think, when you're gardening. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, but you do move on from having, or at least I do, um, you know, an um, absolute craze on topiary. And then I think, well, I've done that. And I mm. I mean, like you know, the front courtyard here, Barbara, I used to bed it yes. out the suckers and did that for 25 years. And I one day said to Graham, you know, I'm done with this. Mm. I've done it for 25 years. It needs something else doing to it. And then yeah. the first the first visitors through the gate the <laughs> following year said, "What's going on here?" I said, "We've changed it." She said, "I know, but I liked it the way it was." <laughs> Oops! Well, you should buy the place, and it can be your garden then.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not that it's for sale. I should hasten to add. No, no, no.
2: <laughs> and you know, talking about the sort of vision, I don't know. If, have you fixed focused on that um, garden? called Town Place, which is towards the end of the book in Sussex, and the owner there decided he wanted to grow a Romanesque priory yes. uh, <laughs> with hornbeam whips. And, you know, it's taken 30 years, and there are these, um, you know, the the walls, the windows cut into them, and I can't remember what they're called, buttresses, that's right, buttresses, um, also out of plants, Um, And then you step into it and it's this absolutely surreal thing of having been in a beautiful country garden with roses and herbaceous. And then suddenly you're in this one species topiarized, basically, architectural plant. And during this summer, past summer, actually wasn't wasn't 22, must have been 21, um, his daughter got married in it. Oh gosh! How lovely! You know, I just is sort of the the thought of planning something like that is wonderful, and the and the fun thing was wonderful. Clive, the photographer, he knew that the garden would be at its peak on the wedding day, and so he went photographing. But he is sort of um, he can infiltrate without people noticing <laughs> him, and so he did that. <laughs> he just, I, I goes, love the way that he rolls up in his um his mobile home.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, brews his own coffee, and he's discreetly out of the way, and you really don't notice him. It is it's quite astonishing,
2: yes. And, mm. and all he needs occasionally is a little bit of a link to your electricity for his yeah. computer.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the joys of putting this together must have been the people you meet. It's all the stories. I've been extremely lucky in my time working in radio to get to visit lots of gardens. They are some of the least efficient radio recordings I ever do because <laughs> I'm interested. This is, you know, even if it's a tiny plot, the blood, sweat, tears, hours of effort, loads of money poured into a plot as soon as you've got a captive audience. I'm there for hours. I don't <laughs> mind. The edit's a nightmare, but <laughs> the actual yeah. experience is is wonderful. And I'm sure it's so similar for you. you. There's so much to learn when you go to a garden. There's planting combinations, there's the history behind it, their inspiration, their wranglings over, you know, if it's a couple, what they wanted to do with it
2: yes how they divide it yes no it's exactly that and you know coming that's the best part is meeting the people and seeing the plants and seeing the garden and then you come home and you've got sort of hours of tape recording to <laughs> listen to and you sort of think who is this person whittling <laughs> on <laughs> that's <me>. not there. <laughs> um and you you know and it but it is wonderful because you can as they talk you can visualize the garden again so it's um, you know, a wonderful means of doing an interview, I think. Yeah.
0: And we do all get so um emotionally uh, linked to our gardens and affected by them. And it's something we talked about a bit with Cleve West in our previous episode, which I'll link to if you if you haven't seen it. Um mm-hmm. it's something we were talking about before we sort of properly started recording, because we have had this cold blast. Alan hasn't had any snow, but we've, I think in Suffolk and in Cambridgeshire, we have had some really, really freezing conditions, frozen fog, snow, frozen snow. I mean, it's it's really been quite treacherous, actually, at this particular point.
2: No, it has been. And um, the, I think you've said about the sort of um, atmospheric places and Alan mentioned Long Barn and the owner there, Rebecca, told me that there are, people who really are, um, I suppose, aficionados of Vita Sackville West and of Sissinghurst, and they come to that garden and they get so overwhelmed by the beauty because Rebecca puts a very light touch on it. Um, you know, although she gardens in a modern way, she is still holding the, the structure that she knows is the older structure. And um, they come there and they get overwhelmed. And she says, we call them our weepers because they they come and they weep <laughs>
1: yeah. no, it does happen actually it's happened in the garden here several times Has it Alan yes, um, yes it has I mean I remember one day our cornfield moved a Frenchman to tears oh well it was beautiful your field I love it. and I've had I've had a lady lady on one occasion thrust a ten pound note into my hands and she said, have this I love it and <laughs> And, and it was gone.
0: <laughs> well, gardens do have that effect on people, and I—I I mean, I will never forget. The moment that I first walked it was a beautiful sunny evening it's one of your garden parties and I walked out at East Ruston um towards your exotic garden but th- but came to it up into the, the your big structure that you've got the vine growing yeah. over yeah and um and the fountain was on and that was sparkling and the sun was low It was a beautiful warm sunny summer evening and it was like being transported to some sort of heaven um <laughs> I didn't cry <laughs> I probably would now well, i was well, too I, young. You I, think.
1: <laughs> I think you know you could say that about the garden at east rust and i'm not blowing my own trumpet but I, mean, I might not never get to heaven to blow my trumpet <laughs> so i might as well do it in the garden here garden, that's yes, as near as i'm yes, gonna yes. get
2: Pretty <laughs> really good heavenly garden yes <laughs> <laughs> I, th-
0: I think the services to horticulture alone you surely go straight through the pearly gates <laughs> They'll write uh. off some of the naughtier stuff. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Can we do a deal, sir?
0: <laughs> uh, now, Barbara, the, um, the the snowy conditions we've been experiencing in East Anglia have potentially made the show and tell element of this podcast <laughs> a little bit of a challenge for you. You've been oh, intrepid. Look. You've been out in your skis. <laughs> to go and (laughs) reclaim some material to show us I'm assuming it did slightly alter maybe your plans of what you wanted to show and tell today
2: a little bit but you know think just about what two weeks ago there were still salvias flowering in the garden you know and I would have brought some of them in because I love salvias and I've recently had some beautiful ones so unfortunately they are not show and tellable. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I picked the last roses just, uh, you know, at the weekend because of that reason. Um, well, I thought they would um, bite the dust. They are inside, but they are, of course, drooping a bit. But no, I thought, well, we're, let's go seasonal. And you know that, shall I show and tell you something? Yes. Okay. So you know from um, my background that I wrote, the first book I wrote was called The Holly and the Ivy. So, of course, I've got to show you some holly. <laughs> and um, this is a very different holly, but is an, uh, it's a cross between ilex aquifolium and, um, oh, what was the other one? Um, I wrote it down just a moment ago. Yes, aquifolium and latifolia. Now, the books say that it has absolutely copious berries, but... <laughs> <laughs>
0: You have three.
2: <laughs> yeah, I three on this spread. Um, in the frost this morning, of course, this was absolutely beautiful. The, the outline of the plant in the frost was lovely. Um, it's a female plant, so it will have berries. But I think the birds have got to them first before. They the have,
1: because well, I've got that, Holly, uh, Castanifolia. It's a sweet chestnut.
2: You're right, sweet chestnut. Yeah, I, I've got it na- named as coe.
1: Coiana. Yeah, Coiana. That's right. Castanifolia Coiana. Right. Um, it is a very prolific bearer of berries. Yes. Um, and I know that because, as I said, we've got it here. Mm. We were given our specimen as a cutting by Nicholas Bacon's mother, uh, Lady Priscilla, mm. many, many years ago on a visit to Raveningham one day. Um, I said to Graham, Well, ask for a cutting. He'd seen that He loves hollies, as you know. He's got a collection of them. Um and so I said, well, I'll ask for a cutting then. She said, no, we can't do that. I said, well, I will then. So I did, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I was gifted three cuttings, and we we rooted yeah. two of the three, mm. and so that's how we have the tree. And we grow um, cuttings of this holly every year, um, but it does have prolific amounts of berries, and I think the reason is because we've got so many males around that mm. it gets a, a good share of
2: pollination. that's right. Well, I think there are lots of um. Hollies around here as well. And I think and not in my garden, but I think that's why it does well. And as I say, the birds just go for it. Um my um provenance of mine was I was on a I went um on a course once at the plant school with Rosemary Campbell Preston, and we went down to Hillier's propagation unit. And you know what terrible foragers gardeners are. <laughs> and, um, they were they there were these sort of um, whippy plants that were being thrown out because they weren't, you know, it was a bit like the vegetables that are wonky. They weren't the best specimens. So, you know, like we just went for it and we all came (laughs) home with wonky plants. (laughs) But mine's about 25 foot high now at the back of the garden. I mean, that was probably about 12 years ago. And it it is a beautiful tree. Yes. I wouldn't be without that one. Um, And I'm glad to know you've got that. Yes. and I must ask you more about Graham uh, Graham's um, Holly collection because I'm yeah. always interested in people who've got different species. And you know there was someone near you called Peter Boardman. Absolutely, yes. We got, we've got one
1: or two sort of fairly rare hollies that came from Peter. Actually, he died unfortunately. I know. Um, yeah. But before he died, he introduced us to to a woman called Susan Andrews. Yep. And mm-hmm. Susan Andrews, I think, is at Q. I believe.
2: Susan's um, no longer there full time she's retired right and it's in devon but i think she does consultancy work for them but she was the holly expert
1: exactly yeah. well she came here and found um a, a yellow-berried holly mm. which she kn-
2: she named east rust and gold oh um, wonderful so that that you know that's quite a nice little tale as well really yeah. Well, you know, I'm going to say, could I have a cutting of Russ and gold, please, one day? <laughs> <Of course>. <laughs> <laughs> well, Su- Susan and Peter both helped me on that book, you yeah. know, and I think the forerunner of the book was I did an article for Hortus magazine on Holly and Ivy and the people who grow it. I'm always interested in the people as well as the plants. I love yes. them, knowing their backgrounds. Yeah. So um, that was really the basis of the of that little book. Was, but it's awesome. it, it's strange, isn't it? Because when you when you actually um,
1: you look at holly as a group of plants, mm. it's quite fascinating. I think to to bear in mind that the, the the different colours of the berries when yeah. I mean, they range they range from lemony yellow through orange to red to
2: black, and there's but an no animal. white. No, I mean Susan has always written about, or not always, but she has written about this sort of elusive white. Holly. Yeah, it's um, supposed to be in Northern Ireland somewhere. Yeah, but uh, nobody's ever come up with it. <laughs> <laughs> so it could be, it
1: could be a bit of a leprechaun.
2: <laughs> yeah, and perhaps it would, you know, perhaps it was a mistake for mistletoe or something like that. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, possible. Anything's possible. possible yes. <laughs> so that's that's my, my first show and tell. Strong
0: start. And yeah, I can only imagine how beautiful that must look encrusted in the proper hall frost we've experienced. Yes,
2: no, it did look lovely. I mean, some of them <laughs> that I've brought in look less than pretty now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, thawing out has some out. downsides. <laughs> this is um, a, one, a grass that I love, and I know you all love, know this one, Alan. It's um, Miscanthus nepolensis. Oh, yeah. yeah. And um, I got it from Noel... Um, no, no, no gardens. I mean, at the moment, uh, it, it's been beautiful, probably for about two months, because it was quite slow to get to the flowering stage. But in the frost, I mean, these are real, really well past it. But in the frost, they just looked amazing, and I think that's what's so lovely about grasses, isn't it? That you know, if you don't cut them back, as I won't until much, much later in earlier in the spring, but. It's just this wonderful structure that they offer to the garden.
1: Yeah, well, we did a whole border. um, uh, We planted it really with autumn flowering plants, but plants that died with dignity. So they they retained their sculptural forms, their shapes. And Miscanthus played a great part in that because what we were aiming for was um, a period like we've got now where we've got this frost and you mm. get foggy frost and you get hoar frost and it the blue, the whole of that border sparkled and bloomed again.
2: Yes. and it was,
1: it was actually photographed quite a few times and used in various calendars as, as the month of December. Wonderful. Yeah.
2: yeah. Well, no, well, I just love it at this season. What, you know, what remains, as you say, that. Uh,
1: yeah.
2: that well, I'll tell you
1: something else, Barbara, which is obviously very sensible from a gardener's point of view that, If you try and cut your borders and so do this so-called nonsense of putting the garden to bed, Uh, A, you miss out on those lovely sculptural forms when they're kissed by frost. But the other thing is that if you wait until spring, not only are you leaving all that lovely detritus behind for all the insects and the birds and everything else, but it's mm. much easier to deal with. You haven't got to cut. Sometimes you can just knock the stems off. Miss Kansas, Mm. you will have to cut. But of course, you know, like flocks, you can just Push your hand across the top, and they fall like a row of soldiers.
2: Yeah, exactly. No, it's uh, yeah. much easier on the uh, the old shoulders. The pulling. Yes, hands. exactly. <laughs> well, you know, there's a good old saying. My granny used to say this: "Just no good getting old unless
1: you get artful." <laughs> <laughs> then,
0: miscanthus nepalensis. Um, I think it just it gives so much in all of its seasons. Because before it gets a bit older and is touched by the frost, I know that. The competition for most tactile of grasses there is some steep competition because there are so many but it is so strokeable it's just like this kind of golden cascading locks really yeah oh, it's just absolutely. such a beautiful grass
1: well it lots just- of the Miscanthus tribe they, they their actual foliage does it, it they have a fiery crescendo don't they because mm-hmm. you go through all these lovely coral reds and
2: Oranges and yellows, and it it it's almost like fire. It's beautiful, beautiful, yes. And um, you know, honking back just to that to the book, the nursery in Sussex called Marchant's Hardy Plants. Yeah, uh, Graham Goff there specialises in um, grasses and planting them with herbaceous perennials, and you can sort of see how they all complement each other in every season with sort yeah. of their beautiful flowering, and then as you said, they're dignified aging. Yeah. Um, just is lovely to see.
0: I'm glad you brought an along because I bought a baby clump um, uh, from Steve Edney at Alan's Plant Fair in the summer. Oh so uh, I'm excited for it to, to do its thing. I haven't had it for years. I had it in my mum's garden. I think we lost it. it, it, it I don't know if, it's, if you find it remotely tender. I was told when I bought it that it might be. And I think somewhere along the line, we lost it for some reason in my mum's garden, but I'm going to have it again
2: but again my uh, i've got a very big clump of it and i hope nothing will happen to it but um i think i think if anything happens it would happen to outer edges and perhaps the inner would still yeah. be there protected mm. by itself in a way <laughs> but my my next one doesn't look very wonderful at the moment the piece i could pick but can you see the little yellow berry? yeah yes. and that's, that's a, um a crab apple malus transitoria and this is probably my the choice for a small garden and my garden now is very small and it's got these tiny little yellow berries which the birds don't really go for so it's you know still looking relatively nice at the moment like little jewels yeah Um, but in spring it's a cloud of tiny white flowers absolutely beautiful on you know the whole branches will just be covered with these flowers and um and then these little berries and when I moved to this house um, from a bigger garden, my aim was that everything had to either be beautiful or productive. <laughs> and so that's the one of the ones that's beautiful in several seasons. And um, yeah, I'm not going to be making crab apple jelly from those. <laughs> <things>. <laughs> so it's just got itself as a beautiful plant here.
0: <laughs> I bet that process of selecting what you wanted, I mean, at least you've got all the experience and tons of inspiration i mean arguably too much inspiration from all the gardens you visited how you then condense that all mm-hmm. of that knowledge and all that desire to grow into a small plot that must have been hard
2: it is hard it still is <laughs> and when we, when we get to the flowmo mo part you'll see
0: <laughs> hey Fordyce here just to say thank you so much for listening to talking dirty you are now officially our favorite person If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time.